How are we doing this morning? Doing all right. Happy 4th of July, almost. It's exciting. Um, yeah, so as Billy said, we are kicking off. I sound okay? We're, we're working it. Working it out. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, as he said, we're starting off a new series this morning called The Character of God. Um, so I'm super excited to jump into that with you guys. But before we jump in, I'm just going to pray for us as we, as we get going. Again, so Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you just want to reveal yourself to us, to your people once again. And yeah, I just pray this morning, both for myself and for everyone present here, that we would just be humble and hungry <laughs> for you, that we would not um, feel like we've learned it all and we know it all, um, but that we would be hungry to be filled once again by your word, by your spirit, and that would be transformed. And yeah, just pray for that humility of heart to be able to hear truth for what it is and that you would yeah, have us quickly forget the things that aren't true. Um, so yeah, God, we just pray for your spirit to fall this morning and we trust you as our Father in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, if you don't know me, my name's Christian. I'm our young adult pastor here at Antioch and just thrilled to be able to serve this church, this family with Allison, my wife. Um, we've been part of this family for 10 plus years now, and it really is such a joy and a delight to, to just walk with you guys and serve alongside you. And um, as we get into this new series, I really do believe it's going to be powerful to just recenter our hearts on who God is, his nature, his character. Um, but before I get into this, I wanted to share a quick story. So this was several months ago at our, our Easter in the park. I don't know if anybody was here for that, but really fun time where we got to do bounce houses. There was an Easter egg hunt. Um, and at the end, we were kind of wrapping up, and I was headed to my car. And Bobby Moore, if you all know Bobby Moore, um, Jim and Bobby are some of the most amazing, sweet, kind, I would even say seasoned uh, <laughs> folks among us, and just have a lot to learn from them. But anyway, Bobby stopped me in the parking lot, and she was like, Christian, I just wanted to share something with you. I really, really enjoy it when you preach, but I have one suggestion. I think what would really add a little bit to your preaching style would be if you do the Australian accent uh, like you did at World Mandate. Uh, so we're going to give that a go this morning. Uh, just try to add a little spice, a little flavor. Um, no, not really. We're not going to do that. Um, that would be extremely distracting for me and for you, I would imagine. Um, so we're not actually going to do that, but maybe we should. I mean, if Bobby, if Bobby says it's a good idea, it probably is, but uh, sorry. Uh, we're not going to do that this morning, but um, yeah, just, just want to unpack a little bit this morning. I'm going to be doing kind of two things. One, I'm going to be setting the stage, if you will, for what this series is going to be as the character of God. What does that mean? What are we going to be getting into and, and why are we doing that? And then the second half, I'm going to dive into like the first character trait of God that we're going to be looking at. So the series as a whole, Billy already touched on this, but our vision as a church is to present to Christ a radiant church ready for his return, right? And so we kind of use that or we're trying to use that as our center, as kind of the lens that we're viewing everything through. And think by doing that, 
we will stay focused on the main things, right? It's easy to get scattered. It's easy to do um, a lot of good things, but maybe that aren't centered on where are we going as a people, as a church, what has God called us to? And so as I thought about that this week and, and presenting to Christ a radiant church ready for his return, I was really like, okay, what, what does that mean? In, in practicality, like how do we become radiant and ready as a people? And the reality is, is we do that by looking at this, by seeing what Jesus did, how he lived, and walking like he did, and being like Jesus was. And we can't know how to do that without knowing who God is, right? You can't just do a list of to-dos and have it really change your life, change from the heart. Um, so we'll, we'll become radiant and ready when we follow the ways of Jesus, and we'll follow the ways of Jesus when we're captivated by his nature, by who he is, right? Um, so we just need to know him. We need to know our Father. We need to know our God. We need to know who he is, why he does the things that he does, why he acts when he acts, all that good stuff. Um, and I think when we do that, we will get to know the character of God in a way that inspires awe in us once again. And I think to a certain extent, we all um, have had that moment, right, at one point or another. But to center on that and to stay focused on that does require some effort and some discipline and um, just playing the long game. So without knowing the nature of God, we simply can't maintain that relationship with him that we want so desperately to maintain, right? So when we're talking about relationship, you guys know this, but marriage is probably the best example that we have here on earth for that tight, close, intimate relationship that God has for his people or that he wants for his people. And I've been married to Allison for a little over six years now, so got a long way to go, a lot to learn. Um, but what I have learned so far is the more that I've gotten to know her, my capacity to love her increases, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that I am always loving her more and more and better and better in every moment. Hopefully that's the, the trend line, you know? You got one of these and it's going up and to the right, but, but my capacity as I get to know her better um, just means that I can love her more, right? Um, and before we started dating, I knew who she was, I knew of her, but I really didn't know her at all, so my, my capacity was very low. Um, and as a side note for the men of the room, this is not the main message, but if you don't know that girl that you're wanting to ask out, don't let that be the reason that you don't ask her out. Obviously, be integrous, be a man of character, figure all that stuff out first, but you don't have to be her best friend to date her. Great. I'll just leave that, I'll just leave that there uh, for whoever needed to hear that. Um, and then, just side, side note, if she tells you that she needs to know you first for you to date her, maybe just give her a little pushback. Someone may have done that that I know well, and it ended up working out. So don't, don't let that be too much of a hindrance for you. Um, you're dating her to get to know her, so... It's okay if you don't already know her. All right, here we go. Moving on. Um, so once I did start to date Allison and we got to know each other, I got to know her interests, her desires, the way she treated others, right? Um, it became much more natural for me to love her. And I became more naturally motivated to love her because I'm like, man, she's amazing. And I want to get to know her more. As kind of this self fueling cycle, hopefully, to where the more we get to know someone, the more we want to love them and serve them and, and pour out our lives to them. So um, I spend 
basically every day with my wife. I don't remember the last time that we didn't spend a day together, but um, it's easier, like I said, if you are humble and hungry and, and just wanting to serve and love the other person when you see them every single day, right? When you spend a lot of time with them, it gets a little bit more challenging when we go time or distances apart from those that we love, right? You hear about all these war stories of people who are you know, separated for months or years. It's hard, right? That requires a lot of discipline to maintain a love and knowledge of that person when you don't spend time with them. Um, my parents actually, so they were class of 84 and 87, I think, at Texas A&M. Um, whoop, and they, that was pretty poor. Texas A&M, whoop. I guess all the college students are out of town for the summer. Um, but anyway, so my mom went to vet school. My dad was an engineering major at A&M, and he was a little bit older. And so they, I'm trying to remember the exact timeline, but basically they got married the first year of her vet school, which was four years, and then he took a job in Fort Worth. So the first three years of their marriage, he had an apartment in Fort Worth, she had an apartment here in College Station, and they would alternate weekends going back and forth to see each other. That sounds like the most miserable thing I could possibly imagine. Now, having been married for a few years, I'm like, if that had been our first three years, that would have been just unimaginable. But anyway, they did it. Praise God. They stuck it out, and here we are. Um, but um, yeah, just know that that time had to require more discipline, right? It's like if you don't get FaceTime, if you don't get time with those that you love, it's not as natural for us to know um, and love the other person, right? So I'd guess that there's some folks in here that have had moments or seasons in your life, in your walk with God, where you are spending consistent daily time with him. And I would say there's probably a very high correlation in those seasons with how close you feel with him, how well you know him, right? Um, and maybe it's a chicken and egg type of deal where it's like, do I love him and want to serve him and, and live radically for him because I'm spending so much time with him? Or am I spending so much time with him because I love him and know him? And want to you know, either way, right, it's, it's a high correlation of those two things. And when we're distant, when we don't get to know his character, when we're living or feeding off the truth that we knew from three years ago, but haven't gotten anything fresh in the last three years, it, it becomes pretty challenging, right? I think we'd all agree with that. So, um, Y'all are not alone. We are not alone. Um, there's plenty of stories throughout Scripture, right, of people who have known God, known his promises, known his character, and then through circumstances basically have fallen away from him and have chose not to serve him, not to love him. So you've got the Israelites, right? They were in Egypt. They were um, in captivity under the Egyptians and had just had a lot of harsh um, treatment over the years. But God saved them. He brought them out of the land of Egypt to the promised land, showed amazing miracles, signs and wonders, his character, his nature, his power. All of this was very, very evident to them right in front of their eyes. Within a couple of months or years, it was like none of that had ever happened, right? They just forgot. 
Um, they started grumbling, started complaining, started wishing they had the food back in Egypt. And it's like, it would be better if we were just slaves, right? And so it doesn't take long for us to forget sometimes what, what God is like and how good he is, how faithful he is. Um, you've also got Abraham, right? He was promised more descendants than the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. And he knew that, he believed that, he trusted God. And then after a while, he got a little older, his wife Sarah got a little older, and they were like, I don't know. I don't know if God's going to pull through. So they took their own path, right? They said, hey, why don't you have a kid with this other lady, this maidservant? And it ended up leading to strife throughout his generations, right? Because they didn't hold on to the promises of God and trust his nature. And then finally, Jesus' disciples. There's several examples of this, but um, obviously the biggest one is, is when Jesus told them, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go away, but I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to return, and I'm not going to leave you. And then he is crucified, and immediately they're running in fear, hiding away, and scared. And they forget a lot about what Jesus told them, right? So it's easy to point fingers. It's easy to say, wow, that was so foolish of you. You quickly forgot about what God promised you. Why, why would you do that? But I think if we'll all be a little honest, we um, are exam- we're examples of this ourselves, right? Um, and... Just to to drive the point home, I think Billy mentioned this a little earlier, but we are forgetful, right? The whole point of this sermon, by the way, is not that we're forgetful, but it is true. Um, Allison um, suggests slash asks me to do things pretty frequently, um, and... I will have the heart to do it. I mean, I have every intention of immediately going and doing everything that she asked me to do with joy and delight. Um, Sometimes, this is rare, but sometimes I'll like be thinking of something else while she's asking me to do it or like I'm kind of in the middle of wrapping something up and you know, that thing that I had every heart, every intention to do, I just might not do it. Um, And so I think that's a pretty good reflection of how our heart and our intentions don't always translate to our actions. Um, But we want to be a people who who do, who have a heart that translates into obedience and into action all the time. And um, just like the Israelites with the Ten Commandments, we need to consistently hear uh, about the nature of, of God to stay in awe of him. So if you want to throw up scripture, Deuteronomy 11, 16 through 21. Again, this is the Israelites after hearing the Ten Commandments. It says, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, pretty much all the time. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord Lord swore to give you and your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. So, pretty important, right? We, we need to do everything that we can to remember about the goodness and the grace of God and his, 
his character, his nature. Um, and it's extremely difficult to love someone you don't know. I know this is, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but this is important, right? We need to know God if we want to love him. Um, and there's other things that you can do that maybe seem like love or, or even a different emotion, but that don't require us to know the person, right? We can um, be jealous of people that we don't know. We can admire people that we don't know. We can lust after people we don't know. We can praise people that we don't know, but we can't really love people that we don't know. I said at first, it's impossible to love someone you don't know. And then when I was going over my notes with Allison, she was like, actually, that's not true. Um, we're called to love our enemies and love everybody. So you might just say it's really hard uh, to love people that you don't know. I was like, that's why you have that spouse in your life um, to remind you of truth. But it's true. You can love people, I guess. No, I know. You love people that you don't know, but it is a discipline, right? If we are going to love people out of delight, out of joy, out of passion, then it's going to be when we know them really, really well. Um, so whether you realize it or not, I said this before, but if, if you're in this room, if you're just interested in God or you've been walking with him a long time, you've had a moment at least when you've been intrigued or captured by some glimpse of his character. Um, but it's, a, it's another thing entirely to know him and to follow him. And in John 10, it says, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow him. So we want to know him the way he knows us, right? Um, so with that, I'm going to jump into our first character quality, um, which is the sovereignty of God. Um, and this one uh, is a little, a little big, a little, quite the topic um, to start off with, but here we go. Um, when we were talking about this as a staff, um, we were joking around that most of these topics that we're going to be unpacking over the next six or seven weeks could really be a series in and of themselves, um, but uh, we're going to do our best, right, to, to unpack them and share a little bit uh, of, of God's heart about his nature, his character, um, and I would just strongly encourage you that you should dive in deeper. <laughs> we'll, we'll touch the surface and hopefully go a little bit deeper, but I think really to get to know him, you'll take this and you'll just say, God, you know, keep teaching me. I want to keep growing and learning about these things because we can only do it a little bit here on a Sunday morning on stage. So the sovereignty of God. Um, I don't consider myself to be a heavyweight theologian um, or a heavyweight, I guess, in general, um, <laughs> but definitely not a heavyweight theologian. Um, and secondly, I don't want us to get lost in the weeds of some of the like offshoot arguments that can like spin off of this sovereignty of God topic. Um, but the definition of sovereignty is supreme power and authority. So I might use those other words interchangeably a little bit this morning. Um, but regardless, this is a profound characteristic of God. And it's not easy for us to always wrap our heads around. Um, so... I'm not going to get super into like free will versus God's control, all of that. I believe personally that um, we have free will. And when we express that and when we choose God, it demonstrates his sovereignty even more. Um, and actually, when we were talking about this initially, I sent Billy a video of 
a sermon that I'd watched in college that really like just totally changed the way I thought about God's sovereignty working in our lives and, and free will. And it was very intricate. And I was like, ah, that may, we may not have enough time to unpack all that. But if you're interested, come find me after this. But um, basically, I want us to talk through several truths that are hard to argue based on Scripture. And I think those will speak to those other little debates when it comes to God's sovereignty, but not necessarily treat them as the main thing, right? We want to look at Scripture and what is what is um, non-debatable based on what the words of God say. So the first truth that I want to share a little bit more on when it comes to God's sovereignty is that God cares for us and his sovereignty means that we don't have to worry. So Matthew 6, verse 25, if you got your Bibles and want to turn there, says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Okay. So you might hear that and say, hey, I don't worry about living longer. I worry about the exam that I got to take on Friday. Or I worry about that bill that needs paying. Or worry about this sickness or that thing. Um, I'm pretty sure the intent of Jesus' words here in Matthew 6 are just don't worry, period. Um, because it's not going to do you any good. Um, and this is obviously much easier said than done, but our Father created us, and he has the sovereignty to take care of us as his children. Um, and our best interest may not always look or seem or feel like what we think it should, right? But he knows better than we do, period. Um, we see and we hear in part, but he sees in full. He sees the whole picture. And as his children, he cares for our well-being, period. Um, and he wants to care for us. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we, we don't need to worry. And his sovereignty can assure us that he's going to take care of us. The second um, piece that I want to unpack is God's power goes beyond human limit. Um, so... This past weekend, I was spending some time with some of our pastoral staff. We were praying together, and while we were worshiping and praying, I got um, this picture. The Lord just reminded me of a story in the Old Testament, or at least I thought it was in the Old Testament. Um, and I don't know if y'all ever have this, but like you listen to a podcast, or you hear a teaching, or or a joke or something, and it's like so fascinating to you and intriguing. And then you go to tell like your best friend or your wife, and you're like, you got to li listen to this. I was listening to this the other day. And then you just forget like all the critical details that made it so interesting to you in the first place. And you're like, hey, you know, I can't remember exactly how he said this, but like you get it, right? Um, and they're like, that sounds awesome. I I believe it was really powerful for you. Uh, but anyway, um, so I had kind of one of those moments. I was like, okay, I know there's a story, and it's the Old Testament. There's a prophet, and there were some bad guys, and, uh, you know, God did something really cool. And, and anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. Um, no, but anyway, so 
afterwards, I was like, that's not great. Um, I should probably learn and remember what the story really was that I was um, thinking of, and it's the story of Elijah. Um, so um, we're going to look into that, and we're going to read it, because I really do think it's reflective of this concept that his power, God's power, goes beyond human limits. So for those of you who don't know, basically Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he is the only uh, prophet during this time for God that's speaking truth. And there's all these other false gods around that the people are being drawn to and um, are just believing in that are not God, and he is kind of the last... (laughs) the last man holding the line for the truth, for the kingdom of God. And um, that's the the landscape heading into 1 Kings um, 18. And this is going to be a little bit of a meaty scripture, but I really did want to read the whole thing because of the details um, expressing the power and nature of God. So 1 Kings 18, we're going to pick it up in verse 19. So this is Elijah on Mount Carmel. And he says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal. So Baal is one of these false, false gods. And the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood and not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. I love Elijah. He's just, he's my kind of guy. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Surprise, surprise. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord. Is it repaired or prepared? Okay, great. That's what mine says. I just want to make sure. Um, He repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. That makes sense. (laughs) Elijah took 12 stones One for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two says of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. 
And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell down and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, the stones in the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Okay, so I thought about cutting that last verse, but I'm like, no, that's just what happened. That's... Uh, that's truth, and there's some realities there um, to, be, to be listened to. But anyway, um, power of God. So sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been here, but sometimes we feel like we need to set God up for success. We don't. <laughs> he, he's a big boy. Um, he, he doesn't need us to like improve the situational odds for him. Um, and it's easy to say that um, on a podium, church, but it's hard to not want to do that and be tempted to do that in our day-to-day lives, right? Well, usually it's to save face on our end, right? We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't, more so than like, oh God, I want you to, you know, be honored and glorified and I hate for you to get embarrassed. Usually it's more self-preserving than that, right? Um, but it's just this story when Elijah is saying, hey, pour more water on there. It won't matter, you know. Um, you pick the bull first. I don't care which bull it is. He, he's just not concerned at all about God failing <laughs> and him not coming through because he knows that he is so powerful and so sovereign, but beyond what we can understand, right? And that's, that's what gets hairy for us is when we try to take our human logic and understanding and map it on to what God is capable of. Um, and so, yeah, just, just seeing that. And I think another key point here that jumped out to me was just the fact that, like Jesus said, uh, that he was only going to do and say and only had done and said what the Father was saying, um, he said, I'm doing everything as you have commanded me to do. So I don't know what those conversations looked like, but I know that Elijah was walking out in the things that God has, had told him to do. And so it made it a lot easier for him to not like worry about, oh, let me just try this or throw that out there. It's like, no, God said you know, he was going to pull through. He told me to do it this way. So I have all the confidence in the world, not in myself, but in him. And his power. So, um, yeah, we don't, we don't need to try to set him up for success. He, he can do and will do what he wants, and we get to be a part of it. So he's not restrained by human limits. And then last, um, last truth that I want to just talk a little bit about is that God's power was most evident through his gospel. And when I first started thinking about the sovereignty of God, the power of God, I was like, man, there, there is really nothing else that displays the power and the sovereignty of God more than the gospel. And at, li- at first, I thought I was being a little bit um, like in tune, maybe, with the Spirit of God. I was like, man, this is, this is really what he wants to say more than anything else because you know, people don't think about the power of God when they think about the gospel. This is just my 
impression for whatever reason. I just thought, hey, when people think about power of God, they might think of these crazy miracles that he did, you know, giant battles that he helped Israel fight and win, or the Red Sea parting, or these crazy, you know, displays of, of visible power. Um, but the reality is, is there is no, like, stronger connection in Scripture between than anything between the gospel and the power of God. <laughs> um, and so I wanted to go through just a short sampling of that um, to show this tight, tight connection that, that Jesus clearly wants to show us between the gospel and how powerful he is. So in Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.18, says, For the word of the cross, a.k.a. the gospel, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then 2 Timothy 1.7 and 8 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, the gospel, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So there it is again. And then finally, the verse that really drove this home for me was when Jesus was taken captive in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is in Matthew 26. It says, With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? So the reality of Jesus and how he wanted to display his power was not through crazy like what we would interpret as being hugely powerful uh, displays. He chose to display his power by choosing humility, restraint, and sacrifice, despite having the ability to crush his captors, right? He could have snapped his fingers and done that. And probably temporarily we would have maybe been more impressed or the disciples would have been more impressed. But from an eternal perspective, he knew that through the gospel, through the, the laying down of his life, despite having the quote-unquote power or sovereignty to end it all and stop the pain, was going to bring more people to know him, to love him, to walk in relationship with him. So I'm going to go ahead and have the band come up. Um, we're going to jump into worship here in a minute. Um, but when I think about power or sovereignty in general, not necessarily in a biblical sense, but just power. Um, I visualize someone who has like a clear plan, right, or strategy, and then is able to effectively execute that strategy for whatever, uh, whatever task is at hand. Um, and at first glance, it can seem like Jesus dying on the cross was not the first plan, right? It was not like what he wanted from the beginning or what he had planned on from the beginning, um, but that it was some sort of plan B kind of correction or solution to something that he didn't anticipate. And the reality is, is that's not the case. <laughs> All over scripture and um, specifically in Revelation 13, it tells us that he knew that was the plan. 
all along. It says, the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So in his sovereignty, he chose death that we might live. Um, and just so sweet if we can sit on that and really think, God, in all the ways that you could have displayed your sovereignty, your power, the way that you did it most consistently from start to end of Scripture was you wanted to show that, that saying, I'll, I'll stop, or I'm not going to stop <laughs> the, the pain or the frustration of the moment to, to avoid you being on display for eternity. That, that if, I, if I stop this, if I just crush my enemies right in front of me, like they're not going to have the opportunity to know God. Or if I, if I cut this thing short and in the garden I just say, hey, I don't want to do this. And he says, I don't want to do this. But ultimately he says, not my will, but yours be done, Father. And so we as a people need to know the sovereignty of God. May not always look like what we think it should look like, right? But that there is more, that he has more for us, so... If you would, go ahead and stand up. Um, we're going to worship here a little bit more. Um, also going to have some of our life group leaders come up to the front, um, if you would, just to pray for some folks. Um, and yeah, I really just want to take the next few minutes to just ask God if there's anything specifically that jumped out about his sovereignty, maybe that you had forgotten about uh, or or even never knew to begin with. Uh, maybe you've been marked by worry or anxiety and, and that teaching in, in Matthew 6 where Jesus said it's not going to do you any good um, really stood out to you and you just need some prayer for that. Maybe um, you need some faith like Elijah had to just believe that God isn't constrained by human limits and there's something that you've been pressing into or believing for that you just need that that faith that he can do it um, or maybe you just need a fresh reminder of the sovereignty and the power of God displayed through his gospel right just like Billy said with the the truth of God is love just something as simple as that or that the gospel saves <laughs> and and shows the power and the nature and the character of God we need to be reminded of that again. So if any of those or anything else you need prayer for, um, come on up. We have people that would love to pray for you and get you what you need. So Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you are a God who is sovereign. <laughs> you are a God of power, of might, and you have our best at heart. <laughs> You want to see us thrive as your children in relationship with you, God. So, yeah, I just pray that um, this morning and as we continue to dive into your character, um, we would get to know who you truly are and that it would spur us on to love you in ways that we maybe have in the past but have, have laid aside or just a new thing, <laughs> a new way, a new season that we can love you because we know your heart, we know your character, we know your nature like never before, God. So we love you. Thank you for this house. And we just pray that you'd fall in Jesus' name.